first mistake they make is they're afraid to make an offer. Uh, they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or for whatever the reason, they, they just can't pull the trigger to make an offer. Well, they want too much for the business is the common thing I hear. Every, every seller wants more for their business than what the buyer thinks it's worth. So this, the buyer doesn't make an offer. And then six months later, he asks about that same seller again. He says, well, what did that sell for? Oh, it sold for X dollars. Well, I'd have paid that. Then you should have made an offer. Always make an offer. The worst they can say is no. Welcome back to the Apex Business Advisors Podcast. I am your host, Andy Cavanaugh, joined not by the president of Apex, Doug Hubler, but instead, I'm joined by the big dog, Jeff Crooks. Jeff, how are you today? I am very well, thank you. Good, man. Hey, thanks for taking time and doing this. Been wanting to have you on for a while. Schedules just didn't match up, so glad we could get here today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the, uh, the first time that I met you here. Okay. Okay, so the first person that I met here was Doug. Right. And then you. Okay. And then Merrill. Okay. And then Jason Moxness. Oh, you were the short one of the bunch. So I actually circled back to Doug and I said, uh, "Hey, man, am I tall enough to work here? <laughs> like, is, do you have like a, a do you have like a, a six foot and under broker category?" Uh, that the I'm ladies in? we had were all six footers too. It just kind of worked out. Yeah, I remember I walked by. I was like, "Oh, big Doug, Jeff Crooks," and then like I met you, mm-hmm. and it's like. Oh my gosh, I'm too short to work here. So, uh, but no, man, really excited about having this conversation because I know you got you got 20 years. Let's start at the beginning, man. How what landed you here? How did you uh, how did you decide that this was what you wanted to do? I sold a company that I was operating through a brokerage house, and seemed like a pretty reasonable industry. I didn't have to work as many weekends and didn't have to travel unless I wanted to, and gravitated towards that. I've been doing it ever since. So when you started, this was a different company name. Yeah, it was Sunbelt back then. Okay. Yeah, it was a franchise back yeah. then. So, yeah, Sunbelt. Do you remember the first, uh, <clears throat> do you remember your first deal? Yeah. My first transaction was a $40,000 carpet cleaning company with one guy, a van, and a cleaning, and a cleaning machine on his van. That was it. Yeah. And it was a cash transaction. I think my second one was accounting firm. That's kind of when I stepped away from the one-man bands into an actual operating business. As time has gone on, and obviously the businesses get bigger, and the books get cleaner, and the business you'd hope <laughs> maybe <laughs> we'll get on we'll get into that. Okay. But are you finding that as you go, as you've kind of progressed through your career, that there's a lot of like seller carryback and a lot of cash deals early on, and then as you progress into larger deals, kind of blow through the the bank, larger SBA, and then hit start to hit private equity, or what, what's that trajectory been like for you? We still do a lot of SBA work. The private equity groups, you know, if you're doing an EBITDA of a million or a gross revenue of 10 million or more, you're going to get their attention. If you're below those thresholds, they're generally not too interested in you unless you're a tuck-in for one of their operating platform companies. I I would say I I do my fair share of SBA deals. They're easier from a funding perspective, but there's a a black hole between 5 and 10 million SBA's cap to private equity's minimum. Uh, that are that is difficult to get funded because there's just nobody out there loaning that amount of money. So there's there's folks out there that service that gap, but it's a pretty underserviced gap of funding. As a firm, we just kind of set that as our our sweet spot. Is still, well, I don't know. I'm, I've got three deals for one buy side search that uh, w- one offers thirty million, one's nine, and one's two on the same buy on the same buyer and private equity for all three of them. So yeah, they're all so tucking into the same the, yeah. the primary company. Yeah, you'd mentioned buy side. Most of your sell side listings come from 
buy side. We, yes. A couple of weeks ago, we did a, a deep dive into a buyer search mm-hmm. with Debbie. You're talking about even on the, the front end of that. So tell me a little bit about your methodology and kind of your philosophy on, on well, buyer search. A buyer comes to me, I talk to a buyer multiple times in a week, and most buyers come in and say, Jeff, I want to buy a business. And you say, what do you want to buy? Well, I want to buy a good one. <laughs> That's a hard guy to help. Okay. You end up throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing what sticks, because he's very unfocused. He's usually focused on cash flow. He's probably had a six-month severance, uh, and he's in the last six weeks of that severance realizing he's not going to get rehired. Now he's going to have to live out of hip pocket National Bank, and he's scared. So he walks in. He says, I've got a house in Leewood, four cars, kids in private college. I need a business that cash flows this much. He's a hard guy to service, but he'll buy whatever you put in front of him because he's buying scared. A buy side client comes in and he says, I'm looking for a business that looks like this. Say it's manufacturing. I need to have at least 25 employees. I need at least 10 million in revenue. I need a million dollars in EBITDA. And I want it in one of these three major metro areas. And I want to close on in the next 60 to 90 days. Here's the capital I have to risk for that acquisition. That guy's a buy side search every time. He doesn't know that necessarily. You have to explain that to him. But buy-side clients identify themselves either because they've been trying to buy for so long and they can't find the right target, uh, they refuse to settle on their target, or they're very specific in what they're looking for. So strategic acquisitions like operating businesses, private equity will hire us for that, and then individuals that want a specific target to tuck into an existing business or they want a certain kind of acquisition when they leave the corporate world to take on their own their own business. When you go through your buyer search, mm-hmm. There's always fallout, right? So, oh, yeah. A so typical search is going to yield, you know, let's say it's a 1,000 companies we're targeting. It's going to yield somewhere between 15 to 25% response rate. And half of those, you know, the, of, say it's 20% on average, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. depends on the size company. If we're looking for $100 million companies, it's going to be a much smaller response. If we're looking for a million-dollar company, it's a much higher response. Those responses are going to range from, thank God you called me. My husband just died. Can you please take me, help me get out of this business? to the other extreme of anything I have is for sale. How much money do you have? We will winnow through the, that list and we shake that down to his favorite five or 10 company targets. And he'll take those five or 10 to his funding source, BSBA or private equity, and see which one's going to give him the best terms. And then he ends up buying that one or two or three in this case, this one client I'm working with now. The backside of that is I've got 30 or 50 plus sellers that aren't going to get acquired by that buyer that still want to sell. I have a relationship with them, although my fiduciary obligation is to the buyer, once he's made his purchase, that fiduciary obligation is met, I can then change hats and go to the other side and say, hey, I've got other buyers I'd love to talk to you. Those can become my future listings. And so that's where you've really kind of made a sweet spot for yourself over the, the it, course of your career is that well, about buy, buy side can flip to, to sell, sell side. side. Right. I mean, the large piece of my volume of sales probably is sell side engagements. But those sell-side engagements, by and large, are generated as fallout from buy-side searches. And this buy-side search isn't original to me. I, I uh, adapted it from the real estate industry. I got a letter one day at the, at the house that says, we have a buyer interested in your property. Here's his name. Call him directly. I was like, well, shoot, why couldn't I do that for a business acquisition? So we adapted, and I drafted a letter, and we came up with three letters that matched that profile. And we sent them out, and lo and behold, the phone rang. And we did that over and over, and we started getting better at it. And pretty soon, it's, it becomes a pretty good staple for our business. As we talked with Debbie, the fiduciary responsibility goes to the, the buyer. The guy paying our fee, correct. The best deal at the best price we can. That doesn't mean it's not fair market value, but the best deals are always on the buy side 
because on the sell side, it's our job to sell the business for as much as we can. And on the buy side, it's exactly opposite that. So we want to get the best deal for our client and help him get the deal all the way to close. What would be some, some pieces of advice that you would give to, say, a new a buyer coming in? Oh, buyers. Um, probably two major mistakes buyers would make more than anything else. First mistake they make is they're afraid to make an offer. Uh, they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or for whatever the reason, they, they just can't pull the trigger to make an offer. Well, they want too much for the business is the common thing I hear. Every, every seller wants more for their business than what the buyer thinks it's worth. So this, the buyer doesn't make an offer. And then six months later, he asks about that same seller again. He says, well, what did that sell for? Oh, it sold for X dollars. Well, I'd have paid that. Then you should have made an offer. Always make an offer. The worst they can say is no. The second mistake I hear buyers make probably as much is that they settle. You're going to spend 8 to 16 hours a day in a new business acquisition. If you bought the 50% solution because you had to have the cash flow, you're going to be miserable for that 8 to 16 hours of your day. So I'm gonna, I don't want that call six months after the fact saying, Jeff, I hate this business. Why did I buy this? I'm like, because you settled. So don't settle on the business you buy. If you can't find the business you want, don't buy it. Do a buy-side search and let's go find what you want. Instead of settling for something that's not the right solution, but it's a stopgap. Because you're stuck with that for at least two years before you can flip it and get bank financing for it. What, why do you think people don't do more buy-side searches? Some people balk at the retainer. Some people are worried about their name being out there in the business world. They're worried about confidentiality. We found ways around that from something as simple as using the uh, forming a corporation or using a middle name and a last name instead of a first name. And there's any number of ways to get in front of the prospective seller. But a, a, buyer's, a buyer's search guy is probably one in 20, one in 25 buyers. And um, you know, when you get a buyer that inquires about a manufacturing, a distribution, a dry cleaner, and a taco stand, you know he's not looking for anything in particular. He's just trying to find something. So we, we try to focus down, find out what they don't want, and then back in from there on what they do want. And then we can usually narrow it down. What about a seller? What, would you, what advice would you give to a seller? The easy button on sellers is, you know, the, the question is always one of valuation. If I can get X dollars, I'd sell my company. Well, how did you arrive at that X dollars? Get your financial planner involved in the conversation. Do a third-party appraisal of the business to determine the valuation. Don't let me determine the value. Don't let something you read on in the Wall Street Journal determine the value, the value multiple that you use. Clean up your books before you sell it. Take care of the tiny little uh, discretionary addbacks. Those little numbers just distract from the focus. So the cleaner your books are, the easier due diligence is. Do some pre-diligence. In other words, have someone go through, look at your books, find out where the holes are, fix those holes before we go through the, the actual due diligence process with a buyer. Now, those things all cost a little money here and there, but at the end of the day, you'll get a higher value for the business. Probably most importantly, when you go from having a job to having a business is when you no longer are the one running everything day to day. When all rivers flow through you, all decisions are made by you, all phone calls are answered by you, you are the business. What do I have to sell if you are not there? So you have to be able to delegate as a business owner as part of basic entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs hate not having control, but the only way they're going to grow is to delegate tasks down. And last question, what about advice for a new broker? <laughs> Stay on the phone. You're on the phone, network, 
get involved with your community that you want to service, the industries that you have the most experience with. After 21 years, I've learned a lot of the language of a lot of the industries, but each one of those are unique. But if you have buyers looking for a specific business, be it daycares or manufacturing or medical service or whatever that is, integrate into those communities and start networking and you'll find business owners will gravitate towards you because they want to have conversations with you they can't have with their banker. They won't have with their attorney. They don't know what questions to ask. Appreciate you coming in today. Hopefully this was uh, the first of many. I've been telling Doug that I want to do a, uh, a bourbon round table. Mm. And, you know, you but... better ask me all my questions on the first <laughs> round, not the fourth round. Wait, thanks for joining. If you're looking at buying or selling a business, if you want to get in contact with uh, myself, with Jeff, with anybody on the team, Jeff's a great resource. He's been doing this for a long time. All that inf- information is out on kcapex.com. Just click on the teams, our podcasts, our blogs, anything you want to know about buying or selling a business, and of course, our active listings. And until next week, if you're looking at buying or selling a business, we got you, fam. Yeah.